Hi everyone! Left to our own devices, the conference may be over, but you can still watch the recording at cybellum.com conference. Tune in to listen to FDA updates from FDA executives themselves, learn about AI in automotive from NVIDIA, the AI leader, and listen to product security leaders from Philips, Honeywell, CISA, and more. Go to cybellum.com conference and watch the recording for free. See you at the next event! Hi, this is David. And this is Shlomi. And you've tuned into Left to Our Own Devices, the product security podcast. So our guest today is Faye Franci, Executive Director at Otto Isaac. Faye has over 30 years of uh, diverse experience in government and industry, specializing in forensic chemistry, aviation, security, and network systems. She's a key figure in the automotive cybersecurity world, and we're thrilled to have her with us today. Faye, welcome to the show. Thank you, Slomi. I really appreciate being here today. So I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about your journey into the automotive cybersecurity world? Certainly. It's sort of an interesting one. In fact, I came here via aviation. So I spent most of my career, adult career, in aviation and primarily at the Boeing company, which really is a wonderful company. And I uh, learned towards the end about cybersecurity and the need for it. Of course, as you can imagine, with aircraft, very concerning regarding what happened during 9-11. We didn't want to have a cyber 9-11, as we, we called it. And so as we examined where we were with our networking and our network infrastructure, our cabin and network systems, our infotainment systems, and all of that, we recognized we needed to do more. And so that started my journey into cybersecurity in aviation. But let me transition over to how I got into automotive cybersecurity, which was your question. Interestingly enough, when I retired from the Boeing company, there were several folks that were looking and examining how to stand up what we had done in aviation, which was an aviation ISAC, and they were doing the same for automotive. And I had several people come and ask some questions and ask for some help. And so I was providing that as I had been very nicely monitored and mentored by FSISAC. Both Denise Anderson and Bill Nelson were incredible mentors to me when they were FSI SAC leaders uh, back in 2010. And they taught me how to spell ISAC. And they also taught me how important it was to bring the industry together in a meaningful way. And so from that learning, I did stand up Aviation ISAC. And I guess while the automotive folks were in town in DC looking around at how to do an ISAC and understanding what to do, Uh, they contacted me, among other folks that are in the DC auto ISAC community. So several of us had meetings with them. We shared sort of our journeys and how to stand up in ISAC. We talked about what, what it took, the effort, the commitment, the interest of the industry to really promote and to support this, because without them, it doesn't work, right? So it's very difficult in a highly competitive market, but they seemed very committed. They wanted to do it. And I was committed to support them as I had been certainly very supported during my days as standing up the original ISAC I did. So with that, I provided them with different materials, different you know learnings that I had had over the many years that I was there at Boeing standing up aviation ISAC. 
And through that, as I began to retire, I, they showed an interest for me to help them more. And I did. And more came to actually becoming the executive director. So this is my retirement job, but I'm not retired by any stretch of the imagination. These guys keep me hopping every minute. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a very busy retirement job. That's for sure. <laughs> it is. It's an incredible story. And I didn't realize that you were involved in the cyber side of Boeing. That is truly uh, remarkable. And I think that, you know, as someone who's been flying for years and years, it's always been a concern of mine who's actually at the controls, especially when, you know, we're talking about autopilots today and the fact that the pilots themselves do very little actually other than sit there and, you know, in, in, in the case of an emergency, maybe they'll have to do something where they actually have to go into manual mode. So that's that's really incredible. So almost like a comparison, but it's actually, you know, it's different, obviously, but the, the automotive industry became connected or is starting to become connected. There are still, you know, OEMs that haven't yet taken the step completely. But, you know, what changes have you seen in auto ISAC as more and more vehicles become connected? And then the second part of that question is a little bit maybe even political. <laughs> Where do you see the responsibility lie for cybersecurity, the OEMs, the tier ones or tier two suppliers, or, or maybe combination of the two? Well, let me start with the first part of the question. I mean, this industry is absolutely amazing, right? It's so transformative. You know, what I've seen in the six years that I've been here has been actually really inspiring and also from a personal perspective, really exciting to see the transformations that are going in into AI, certainly EVs, but really what the future holds for this industry is, is just completely awesome. With that, of course, the more and more the connectedness comes in, the more and more we have to be concerned about cybersecurity. And in fact, the OEMs and the supply chain have been. And they've been working very hard together to learn about the subject. They were not necessarily very integrated into cybersecurity per se, other than, of course, what was going on in their companies. But from a product side, uh, there's been really a huge amount of change that I've seen in six years over which uh, it, there's been a lot of activities, standards have been developed, and now we even have the regulation, as you know. So the responsibility is for everyone, right? Cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility, not only the OEMs, but the entire supply chain. And in fact, I would say also the consumers. So my, my view is that everyone has a role to play here. And clearly the OEMs and the tier, the tiered suppliers have taken this very seriously, as have certainly government as well as the standards organizations. As we see, you know, uh, ISO SAE 21434 come about, of course, WP29 or 155.156. So we can see things are happening and in a very meaningful way, and I think in a, in a good trajectory. Just to follow up on that, I, I was at a conference where I heard, it was actually a surprise to me, somebody quite senior, a cyber professional in one of the larger OEMs, and, and the question was asked around risk and cost and how much they actually, you know, to what level they'll be willing to take risk that they maybe they don't have the proper cybersecurity in place because the cost will just be too high for implementing. And and the answer that was given was kind of like, yeah, we do those calculations. It wasn't that we we just go straight out and protect our cars. It was we do the calculations on the risk cost. 
Does that surprise you or? Not at all, right? Business is about really managing the business. You have to stay in business. And so with that staying in business, you do have to manage the risk. And clearly there are some risks that are what I would say intolerable, you know, the risk to human life, right? That would be an intolerable risk. And then there are other risks that maybe, you know, one can address in a different way or a later date that will be addressed, but maybe it's not a priority uh, as, say, some of the other ones. So I think risk is what this is about. I mean, cyber is a business risk. And obviously, I think we would like to have a perfect solution, but we know from this emerging threat that there are no perfect solutions. The minute we think we have the perfect solution, the bad guys will find a different way in. You know, one door closes, another door they find open or another window. And so this is a very asymmetric emerging threat that does require vigilance at all levels. And I think there's no way that anyone has the perfect solution right out the bat. So I think it is a matter of examining it, understanding what the risks are, what the calculus is, what the potential is for impact, and of course, trying to mitigate that as soon and as quickly as we can. Right. So maybe having a 100% solution for making sure the brakes are going to work and nobody can get in. But if it comes to opening the car door or something like that, maybe, you know, it's less of a priority as some some of, let's say, the functional safety issues that we see now almost integrating into the, the cyber outlook. So absolutely an excellent point. I'm glad you stated it that way. That is really, really important to state. So obviously the safety risks are what we focus on first as an industry. And in fact, in the auto ISAC, we have one of our goals is zero safety related cybersecurity incidences. So really important that we understand what they are, number one, that's the most important thing, and that we obviously address those. And of course, I think maintain that other list that we do need to get to as well. Right. Excellent. So following up, I actually have a question about regulation. So following the the famous WP29 and R155, do you feel that more regulation is still needed or will it have a negative impact on innovation and, and time to market? Well, there's always this great debate about regulation and innovation. And I think we have to be prudent in our approach. I think the government recognizes that. And I think where WP29 is, they are, are starting on this journey. You know, we don't know where it will end. I think regulation is important from a consumer perspective. It will happen. How much is needed, I think, needs to be, you know, certainly examined as we move forward. And it is constantly being examined, certainly by the government and, and I would say by the industry as well. You know, working together with the industry and government is one of the most important things we can do to really ensure that we are not over-regulating and certainly not under-regulating. Both of those can have nefarious effects on everyone. So I think working together in a more collaborative way is important. And I think what we have today, you know, seems to me an interesting initial first step and where it will lead and where it will end is anyone's guess. Right. Interesting. So, you know, if we look at this year, let's say from the beginning of the year, and, and some of the attacks that have taken place, they've been published. So, you know, I, I don't see any problem mentioning names. Our, our friend in Germany, David Colombo, 19 years old, broke into 28 Teslas worldwide. He was actually in our office in, in Israel doing a meetup with us and a great kid. Oh, wow. um, but he's a, he's a good hacker and he made a lot of publicity about the hack. And he was on CNN and Bloomberg, you know, and 
now he's presenting around the world. He he replicates the hack and how he did it. But but that's only one. And then there was you know the Toyota supply chain shutdown. There was issues with some of the other OEMs. So we don't have to mention all the names. So there have been a lot of attacks, and and they continue. So I guess um, you know I'm curious where you think on a scale of one to ten. Let's say one being the the highest, ten being the lowest. Um, how prepared most OEMs are to respond to a major cyber attack? Well, it's hard to give one number for the whole of industry, right? I mean, it's very difficult to say everybody's equal because they're not, right? And I think they're all trying to strive to be that number one. And I will say that it, wholeheartedly that they the desire is there. They're working towards that, you know, number one. And I think many of them are at different levels of maturity. And, um, and of course, you know, some of them are here in North America. Some of them have uh, folks that are very cyber savvy in other places. So what we see is, of course, everyone is very dedicated to the idea of this. I mean, this can damage brand pretty quickly, right? And I think the recognition of that is we've got to take care of this. And no one wants to see a safety-related incident or any death that's been associated due to a cyber incident. So they are all very, very focused on getting to number one. And many of them are there. I will say that the OEMs have done a really incredible job from when I first arrived to where they are today in, in what they are focused on and how they uh, take this very seriously. So it's, it's interesting you mentioned brand. I grew up with the Volvo commercials where um, you know they would have the children in the back seat, and I, th- I forget what the what the tagline was, something like you know trust your family to Volvo, you know something like that, or you know save Volvo safety. Uh, do you think we're going to get to the point where the OEMs are going to be advertising the safety from a cyber point of view, or would that be almost like attracting or putting out a target, <laughs> uh, you know, for hackers to to come in and try to try to get through? <laughs> Well, it's a, it's a great point. And I think, you know, it can paint a target on their back, right? And we've seen that, I think, in the example you gave with Tesla. On the other hand, I will say this, that they're really working hard to, you know, to get to this point where they, they are really cyber secure. Having said that, as we already talked about earlier, there is no such thing as 100% cyber security. So I don't think this is something that you're going to see broadcast and boasted about. I don't think you'll see that. On the other hand, you will see that they are working together as an industry to make the industry cyber secure. And that's a really differentiating point than having one OEM saying it sort of from a competitive perspective versus having the whole of industry stand up and saying, we're really working this. Obviously, anything is possible and we don't know where they'll go, but I do believe that this industry is committed to working together. We like to say we don't compete on cybersecurity, um, and but we do want to work this as a as a collective in a in a collaborative manner. Right. Excellent. That's a great answer. So you you have such an interesting background, you know, both before and after retirement. So I'm curious, what's the most amazing or unbelievable moment you had in your career? If you can share it with us. Well, that's a tough one. I'm an old bird here, so. Um, let's see Uh, I would say probably 9-11 and that's kind of on the on the negative side but it was uh, one of the most incredible days I've ever spent from a work standpoint and of course quite frankly quite long after that 
I was at Boeing and I was down near the Pentagon when one of the airships, of course, went into the Pentagon. So moments like that, you are seared into your memory, obviously. And, you know, clearly that impacted uh, the industry and the company that I was working in. In fact, there was a 10-year lawsuit against Boeing because Boeing had recommended, you know, steel reinforced doors in the cockpit. Many of our customers were concerned about the cost and the weight, which matter in in aviation. And they didn't, they didn't go in. Well, uh, this is gets back to this risk, this risk equation, right? What do we do? And so, you know, looking back on that, you know, one can easily understand the answer should have been different, but it wasn't at the time. And so uh, that, that lawsuit pursued for quite some time. The industry was impacted in over a billion dollars of impact. Uh, it took the industry really about 10 years to get back from that. So that's really seared into my mind. And from there, where we went is, of course, examining what we would do if there was a cyber 9-11. So that was probably one of the most incredible days in my career. Uh, that's kind of on the negative. On a, from a more of an amazing perspective, you know, th- there's always some fun things. And wh- one of the most amazing things in aviation that we did was stand up the aviation ISAC. And the first year anniversary to me was one of the most amazing days because we finally got everyone together agreeing to work on cyber and physical and all hazard security in aviation in a meaningful way. And and that first anniversary was a was a big milestone for us. Mm. And coming into automotive, I feel the same way. This group has done an amazing job at coming together, working together, even though it's extraordinarily uncomfortable in a very competitive market to do so. Incredible. Yeah, we can completely understand the the victory that lies in connecting everyone around both safety and security. We we see that, you know, ourselves, even when we try to do more knowledge sharing between industries, because there is so much to learn, you know, for the automotive industry, uh, from the medical device industry or from the industrial equipment industry. And the end of the day, it's all software. So there's so much to learn, but it's still a challenge to connect these different industries and fields together. So uh, yeah, that sounds like an amazing accomplishment, the aviation, uh, Isaac. Thank you. You know, when you're mentioning about the embedded systems, you're so right, right? So many things are so similar between aviation and automotive. In fact, I was amazed at how similar the network architectures were, including CAM buses, if you will, which we know are sort of a old. But also in health ISAC, you know, the amount and what they do. And of course, that is really quite concerning is from a health perspective, but a lot on embedded systems. And of course, you know, we've learned a lot from them as well. And we're looking even at how they're developing and what they're doing in S-bombs, right? So it all does interrelate when you get into the software and embedded systems arena. It's really interesting. So over the last two weeks, I was at two conferences for critical infrastructure. My, my gut feeling, not only my gut feeling, from sitting in on the sessions, from speaking to the people there, I think automotive is definitely in the best shape than medical, uh, and critical infrastructure is last, to the point that they are now taking legacy systems that had air gaps, supposedly, and bringing them online. They have no idea what's inside of those systems. They have no idea what kind of vulnerabilities lie in those systems. And and I was actually quite concerned coming out of those. <laughs> uh, on one hand, from a business point of view, I think it's a very good opportunity for companies like ours. But on the other hand, it's um, it's a very worrying situation. Uh, and I think we've seen some very you know publicized hacks 
in that area. And it's a place where they really, really need to get their act together as quickly as, you know, that you've helped to manage to, to do with Auto ISAC. Otherwise, we're going to be in for a lot more very troublesome hacks. And here we're talking about, you know, water supplies, energy, uh, food supplies. It's, I'm not going to say automotive is secondary in any way because, you know, hacks on automobiles can be disastrous. Pipelines, you know, so I think there's a lot of work that still needs to be done there. There is. I mean, it's a really great point that you're making. And I think, you know, taking that point even further, this is, you know, sort of the cost of this great technology. I mean, on one hand, we have these amazing technologies that have connected the world in a in an incredible way uh, and have changed our lives for many reasons in a positive way. But we also see some of the negative effects as well. And some of the negative effects of building on a infrastructure that was not designed with the end in mind, or it was at the time, but perhaps we didn't know what this really true end would look like. And we have that challenge. And I think even as we go forward, this is a constant challenge, something that we have to be consistent in our approach and how we do things. It does take time, energy, and effort to integrate these great technologies together and to understand what what might it be bringing in as you bring in some of these legacy systems. It's, it's a big challenge. It, it definitely is. And, and I mean, we saw it, you mentioned 9-11, you know, the fact that the information was were in silos, in you know, disparate entities that had they just been connected, they probably and done, you know, the proper analytics done on those systems, they probably would have recognized certain trends that might have actually uh, you know kept it nine eleven from happening. And I know there, you know, until it happens, you don't learn. But in a lot of cases, but I think we learned a very uh, difficult lesson back then. You brought back a memory. I was uh, actually here in Tel Aviv. And I saw it happen. You know, I saw the the news on CNN. Somebody called me in to to watch it. And my brother was in one of the. He was in number five, I think. That's the one that that came, or number seven, the one that came down the next day. But he oh. still had to get out, and there was debris falling. Oh. And it took us five hours before we heard back. You know, we heard from <sighs> him to to tell us that he was okay. I think yeah. he made he made the last path train to New Jersey. And he was working for a company in the Trade Center at the time, but they had their backup in Jersey City. So he went to Jersey City and and implemented already. He was there to do the backups already. He was, you know, that's the way he is. Uh, wow. And pretty, pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. Amazing story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, I, I don't know. I mean, you grew up on the East Coast, right? Yes. You're, you're from Baltimore originally or from Maryland? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... I don't know if you if you remember if Gabe Pressman was also an anchor in uh he was okay so <laughs> this is actually a personal story I I was flying um back from New York to Israel and I was completely out cold and uh I woke up and there was a woman sitting next to me and I apologized for being such a bad companion <laughs> and we started talking and she was the producer for NBC and she said that she's laying the groundwork that Gabe Pressman is coming over to do a series about terrorism. I said, why are you doing it in Israel? You should do it in America. My brother was in the World Trade Center, you know, which you know, was just three months before or two months before. Mm-hmm. So she actually he, she came to our house with Gabe Pressman and they did a, a segment uh, which was played in prime time. You know, it was played like four or five different times. And they they compared uh, what was going on here, what was going on there. But they did most a lot of it was about you know, 9-11 and what people had, the, the personal uh, touch that it had made on every one of us, regardless of where we were in the world. 
was pretty, yeah. pretty yeah, incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a, it was an amazing, unfortunate event. Yeah. Um, okay, back to, uh, let's say, more fun things going forward. Okay. So do you have any practical tips for product security teams for 2023? Well, gee, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, collaborate, right? Engage, collaborate, share. I mean, those are very simple, singular words that really have a lot of meaning behind them, right? In order to really work this issue, we really do need to work together. We need to collaborate. We need to learn from each other. What we do in the Auto ISAC is not just share threat intelligence because there's a lot of threat feeds. We're not a threat feed. What we do is share a platform across the industry that allows them to collaborate, allows them to learn from each other, allows them to share and help mitigate uh, what might be happening. And so it's a very powerful platform, but it does take engagement and that takes time. Uh, one of the hardest things I tell my new members is the easy part is writing me the check for the dues. The hard part is the commitment to the ISAC to work together and to share. We have something called Members Teaching Members, which is a program that we do every month where for 90 minutes, a member will come in and talk about what they've seen, how they've experienced something, perhaps how they've implemented a best practice, what that looks like for them, even uh, those that have had some incidences like ransomware attacks and so forth, they'll come in and they'll share. They'll, you know, open kimono, here's where what, what we experienced, here's what we did, here's how we dealt with it. Uh, and it's been very, very powerful. We'll get a very large contingency of the membership coming to that. We have an education program going on because a lot around cyber is about education. We also engage in, you know, obviously updating best practices. In fact, we're undergoing updating our seven best practices that we developed when we initially stood the ISAC up six years ago. And they're outdated because we've got, uh, you know, ISO standard, we've got WP29 and, and, and things that we've learned in the last six years that we need to update. Uh, we're working on an ATM, we call it um, the attack framework model that MITRE has. We're, we're building an automotive one, an automotive threat model, ATM, uh, based on the MITRE attack model. So trying to make that as specific around what automotive is seeing as we can. Uh, we're, we're, of course, working on an automotive SBOM. How do we do it as an industry, right? Trying to really help this industry collaborate and getting ahead of what they need to do to working this together. Of course, ultimately, each each OEM is, is ultimately responsible, as we know, from a re regulatory perspective, but everyone's affected as, as evidenced by the 9-11 conversation. I can tell you that they were four airplanes. They were all built by Boeing that you know took the hit that day on 9-11. However, Airbus's stock went down just as low as, as ours did, as the Boeing companies. And so one of the best stories I can tell is how Airbus and Boeing started to collaborate uh, really starting the genesis and, and really the foundation for where the aviation ISAC was going. It's really important for us to work together. And, and that's what we do as the ISAC. And that collaboration can be hard at times. The ISAC works as a ability to anonymize it. So if a member is not comfortable, then we anonymize information. We're very careful in how we handle it. 14 OEM lawyers came together to determine the legal language around how we do the sharing, the operating rules, the bylaws. And so uh, we have a good model. It works. It's, it's still difficult. And we still are working towards that 
you know, never ending goal of, of zero safety related incidents in the industry. Right. Incredible. Excellent. Yep. So I think that's actually a, a perfect way to end this conversation. Faye, we would really like to thank you so much for the insights and, you know, Otto Isaac and, and you specifically are one of the biggest forces driving this industry forward. So uh, it's it's a huge accomplishment for a post retirement uh, job. <laughs> so we thank you for that. Uh, I don't think you're in retirement at all. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> it's been a great journey. Thank you. Left to our own devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com. <laughs>